All right, welcome back. I'm so glad to see you. I missed you over the break, and it's excited. I'm excited to get started this semester with RUF. If you're not already there, um, turn to the book of Mark if you've got a Bible. It's in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, and then uh, if you don't have a Bible, no problem. You can look on the announcement sheet. It's printed for you. It's all of one verse. Or you can also uh, use your phone as well. Let me introduce myself. I realize this is, might be your first time to RUF. Uh, my name is Jason Sterling. I'm the campus minister. And I've been doing RUF campus ministry for 11 years. Uh, this is my fifth year at Ole Miss. And just a little word about RUF. We can, my number's on the sheet. You can contact me anytime and we can talk further if you have questions. But uh, really the thing I want to communicate is that we really do want this to be a safe place for you to come uh, wherever you are, uh, whether you're convinced of Christianity uh, or whether you're unconvinced and you've got questions. We want this to be a place where you can ask questions um, and feel safe about that and evaluate the truth claims of Christianity. Uh, we also want this to be a place where you can come and struggle and not feel like you have to have it all together and come on Wednesday nights and hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and um, in a way that hopefully would encourage your soul as you leave here uh, and go out into the world uh, in the middle of the week. So that's enough about um, RUF, but if you do have questions, I'll be around afterwards. If this is your first time and you want to know kind of more of what we do, I'd love to answer those questions for you. Uh, let me read our passage uh, or verse uh, tonight. And let me remind you, this is God's Word to us. Um, Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let me pray and ask God to come and meet with us through His Spirit uh, as we look at this uh, verse tonight. Let's pray. Father, at the beginning of a new semester, uh, we are uh, struggling with all sorts of things as we walk into this room tonight. Some of us are nervous about life. Some of us are afraid. Some of us feel lonely and want to find community. Others of us, maybe we have lost our edge. We're coming and we feel like we've lost our edge spiritually. There was a time in our life, uh, even maybe as recently as last semester where we felt really close to you, but now we feel like our hearts are cold and we feel apathetic. Lord, others of us have failed and we feel like failures, we feel like we've blown it, we feel like such a mess and we're wondering if you still care and if you still love us. Some of us are angry, we're angry uh, at you angry at our friends or our parents, uh, or simply just angry that life has not turned out the way that we thought it would. Lord, we need you, and so we pray that you would give us a word tonight uh, that we can lock onto that would give us hope and that would minister to us. Lord, tonight would you also convince us that we're actually a bigger mess than we realize? But at the very same time, convince us that you don't run away from the mess, but you actually run to it. And you enter in 
and you love us uh, with a love um, that is beyond anything that we could have dreamed. Convince us of that. We need you tonight. Teach us and encourage us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. As we begin our study in the book of Mark uh, this semester, uh, I want to just simply begin just by making a few introductory comments uh, about the book of Mark. Uh, The book of Mark is actually the shortest of the four gospel accounts. So out of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this is the shortest gospel. Not only that, the best scholarship, um, the best Bible scholars have Mark dated in the mid to late 50s. And basically, that's important because what that means is that the Gospel of Mark is actually the very first Gospel written. Also, because it's written in the mid to late 50s, it means that it was actually written in the lifetime of the eyewitnesses. Okay, so let me just stop there for a second. Don't let that pass you by. That is very, very significant. We're going to talk about it more as we go on this semester. Why is that significant that it was written in the lifetime of the eyewitnesses? Well, think about it. If these were simply legends, these stories about Jesus that someone had made up or mythic accounts that someone was making up to try to convince you of a certain uh, thing about Jesus, Christianity would have never taken off the way it did. Why? Well, think about it. Because there would have been eyewitnesses there to refute whatever was being said. And there would have been eyewitnesses there that could look and say, no, that never happened. Gospel of Mark written at the time of the eyewitnesses, which is very significant. Who wrote it? Well, obviously, Mark wrote it. John Mark, who goes by Mark, wrote the Gospel of Mark. But Every Bible scholar and historian points out the fact that Mark was actually written under the direction of Peter. And if you notice as we go through, Peter's in almost every scene throughout the Gospel of Mark. And so this is essentially Peter's Gospel. And Mark is simply the ghostwriter. All of the data that Mark is getting is coming from Peter. Who is Peter? Well, Peter is one of the 12 disciples. We'll learn that as we go through this semester. But more than that, if you remember, Jesus had 12 disciples, but then he also had three who he was really, really close to. Peter, James, and John. Who is Peter? Well, he's one of Jesus' closest friends, which is also significant. Why are we studying the Gospel of Mark this semester? Well, simply put, the Gospels are the place where we go. The whole Bible is about Jesus. The center of the Bible is Jesus. But the Gospels specifically tell us who Jesus is, what he said, and what he did. Jesus is the, at the very center of Christianity. And every person in this room, me included, has a version of Jesus. Some of you might have a version of Jesus and maybe when you think about Jesus or relate to him, he's like the, uh, the heavenly grandfather who always gives you what you want and is so generous to you. Or maybe you think of Jesus as the cosmic police officer 
who is waiting behind every corner for you to mess up so that he can come down and crush you and tell you what you're doing wrong and make your life miserable. Or maybe Jesus is like your bus boy or your life coach and when you get in a lot of trouble or maybe you need that extra help on the exam, it's like, let me just throw one up and, and hope that he comes through and you keep your fingers crossed. And so maybe that's the way you relate to Jesus. And most likely... You have a version of Jesus that is convenient for your life. But here's what I want you to hear. Wherever you're coming from, as you come into this room tonight, concerning the person and the work of Jesus Christ, whatever your view is, why are we doing this this semester? Because think about it. Wherever we are, what better exercise for any of us to do this semester than to come and look at an eyewitness account of who Jesus says that he is and what he did. That's why we're doing the Gospel of Mark. This semester we're going to look at those things. Who Jesus is, what he did, and what he said. Tonight we're going to look at two things concerning Jesus. His identity... Secondly, his message, his identity and his message. You can see an outline printed for you on your handout. Number one, his identity. Look at the opening verse, uh, the very first verse of the Gospel of Mark. Jesus is identified with the title Christ. Okay, Christ, and this may go without saying, but it's worth saying, Christ is not his last name. Okay, uh, Meaning, like, if we lived back in that time, we would not go up and say, Mr. Christ, I have a question for you. Uh, something that I'm really struggling with. Christ is a title. It's a title that actually means, literally, anointed one. And so in the time of the Bible, and particularly in the Old Testament, when kings were installed into office at their coronation, they were anointed. They were anointed with oil. But there is this expectation in all of the Bible, and particularly in the Old Testament, that one day there was this enormous expectation, loaded expectation, that one day there wouldn't just be some anointed one who would come, but there was an expectation that the anointed one would come. There was this expectation that one day not just some king, any old king would come. There was an expectation that the king would come. And Mark at the very beginning is saying, Jesus, he's the one. He's the Christ. He is the anointed one. The king of kings and the Lord of lords, the one to whom all of human history has been pointing towards. He's here. He is the king that has come to put everything back together and make all the wrongs in the world right. Look again at verse 1. He not only says that he's the Christ, but he says that he's the Son of God. Uh, that's just another way of saying Jesus is God. And what's interesting is that Mark is not the only... Mark doesn't just say that he's God. Jesus, if you look all the way through the Gospels, Jesus says that he's God. 
Jesus makes that claim. That's actually one of his favorite self-designations and ways of referring to himself. The Son of God. He went around making that claim. Don't bypass that. I know some of you may have heard that your whole life, but think about this. You see, in the end, whether or not you embrace Christianity or believe Christianity comes down to one thing. Listen, I talk to a lot of people that have objections about Christianity, and that's great, and I love talking about those things. But at the end of the day, the real question is, what do you think of Jesus? Who is Jesus? That's really what it all comes down to. John 14, verse 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And here's what I want you to realize. Though that might sound incredibly arrogant to people for Jesus to say that, do you realize Jesus is the only religious leader to make that claim? He's the only one to claim to be God. What's the point? You've got to deal with that. You have got to deal with what Jesus claims about himself. You can say Jesus was wrong, but you cannot say that Jesus is the same as everyone else. Here's my point. Jesus is more important than you think he is. And he's more important than you think by the simple fact that he claimed to be the Christ. That he claimed to be the anointed one. That he claimed to be God in the flesh. And here's the other thing. The people that knew him best said that what he claimed was true. They were convinced that it was true. Pause the tape just a second. If you and I leave here and tomorrow morning we wake up and we start claiming that we're God, the people closest to us, for me it would be my wife and my children, they would say, you're nuts. You're crazy. You're not God. Why would they say that? And why would they say that about you? Because they know you. They know you all the way to the bottom and they know that it's not true. And so think about that. The people that knew Jesus the best, they looked at Him and they said, that's it. He really is. He is God in the flesh. They were convinced that it were true. I love C.S. Lewis here. He says, Jesus is either of utmost importance or he's of no importance. But one thing that Jesus is not is of some importance. If you actually read what he claims in the Gospels. And so Lewis goes on to say that Jesus is either a liar or a lunatic. He's evil. He's off his rocker. He's completely mad. And you should have nothing to do with him. Or, he's Lord. He is who he says he is. Those are the only two rational responses to Jesus. That's what Lewis is saying. For some of you tonight, maybe your response to Jesus is this. Yes, Jason, 
I believe. Jesus is God. I believe He's the King of the universe. I believe He's God in the flesh. And I want to follow Him. And I am following Him, but I really struggle. And my life is a wreck. And it's such a mess. But I'm trying. Okay. I understand that. That's a rational response. Or maybe there's another group here. And maybe your response is, Jason, I don't know really where I am. I, I, I don't know what I believe, but to be honest, this sounds crazy. <laughs> I mean, God in the flesh, in human form, I'm not sure I buy it, but I'm open, I'm open to listening. If that's your response, I'm glad you're here. That's what we want RUF to be. We want this to be a place where you can come and feel welcome to come with your questions and just listen and explore the truth claims of Christianity. And I hope you'll come back. I understand. I get that. That makes sense to me. And the other group makes sense to me. That maybe you are wanting, you follow Jesus, but you struggle. That makes sense to me. But there's a third group. That makes no sense. It's the group that, as Lewis says, considers Jesus to just simply be of some importance. And this is the group that says, I'm a Christian. I'm in. I'm, I, I'm following Jesus. But yet, Jesus has absolutely nothing to do with your life. You're cold. You're apathetic. You have no intention whatsoever of ever allowing Jesus to contradict any area of your life. Or there are places in your life where you know they're out of line with what Jesus would have for you. Let me say this insert here. Jesus is a loving God. And at the heart of everything He does is love. And so if there is something that He is laid out in Scripture that He's called you to do and calls us to live by. It's not because He's trying to keep us from having all the fun and make us miserable. It's because He loves us. And He's trying to keep us from destroying our lives. At the heart of the commands in Scripture is loving Father that loves His children desperately. And you've got to understand that or you'll always see the commands and things that Jesus tells you as holding you back. But are there places in your life that you know are out of line for what, from what God wants for you? And you just simply say, eh, whatever. I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. I want you to think about that. That makes no sense at all. If you say Jesus is who he says he is. Don't you see that the only two responses that have any intellectual integrity at all are either worship him or hate him. But you can't just shrug Jesus off. And if you keep coming back this semester, here's what you're going to see as we study the gospel. Nobody just likes Jesus. They don't. In the Bible, and we're going to see this week after week, people either want to crown Him as King and bow down and worship Him, 
or they want to kill him. The only two responses that make any sense at all are worship him or hate him. And friends, when you take into account the actual data, and when you take into the account the magnitude of what Jesus claimed, it was so big that you better not just believe or better not just doubt that it's true. Friends, you better know it's not true. And what I mean by that is you better not just shrug it off and you better not just write it off and ignore it. But you better investigate it and explore it. And that's exactly why we're doing this this semester. This semester, over and over and over, we're going to come back, who is Jesus? And again, what better way to do that than to study an eyewitness account of who Jesus claimed to be? Second point, and much shorter. Look at verse 1 again, his message. The beginning of the gospel. I want to focus on that word gospel. Look down if you have a Bible or your phone. I didn't print this verse, but look at verse 14. Jesus came into the world proclaiming, what does it say? The good news or the gospel of God. That's what Jesus came to do. We're going to talk about this more in the next couple of weeks. But proclaiming the gospel of God. One of the things that's interesting about this word gospel is that it would have been a term that's very familiar to the first century readers. It meant good news. And it was not a uniquely Christian term. Every Roman citizen would have understood the term gospel. Because whenever an emperor had a son who was born an heir to the throne, the son's birth, the heir's birth, was called, the announcement was called the gospel. The gospel of the son's birth. Or whenever that son would ascend to the throne, the announcement was the gospel of the son's ascension. You see, the point is that this would have been a very familiar term to them. And what I want us to understand right from the beginning of our study this semester is the term gospel is an announcement of news. An announcement of good news. What is news? Think about what news is. News is an announcement of something that's already happened. Something that's already been done. If you're here tonight, and maybe you're not familiar with Christianity, or you're seeking it out and trying to figure out what Christianity is, wherever you are, most of the time when I talk about people uh, that maybe are, are seeking Christianity and to learn more, most of the time they think Christianity is fundamentally advice, not news. In other words, Christianity, most people think, is basic advice on how to live. And the other thing I would say is that's often what most Christians, maybe you've been a Christian ever since you can remember in your life, I would say that you believe the exact same thing and you think Christianity is basically advice for living and there's not much good news in your gospel. For example, oftentimes it's seen just as advice. 
I need to stop doing that. I need to read my Bible more. I need to pray more. I need to go to church more consistently. I need to go to a a religious campus meeting, something like RUF. I need to vote a particular way. And if I follow these things down to the T and don't commit any really big sins along the way, then God will bless me, save me, and answer my prayers. That's advice. That's a burden. That's not good news. News is an announcement of something that has been done for you. Advice is something that you need to do. Advice is a way that you need to perform. That's a burden. Who wants more advice on how you could do things better? Not me. Christianity, first and foremost, is news, not advice. And right there we see the difference between Christianity and all other religions, including no religion. The essence of other religions is advice. The essence and the very heart of Christianity is good news. A couple of years ago, there was a news piece that was out about a middle school principal in Marshfield, Wisconsin, who basically really got, took a lot of heat and was the center of national news for posting, middle school, by the way, uh, for posting an F list outside of his office for anyone walking by to see. The F list included the student's name, the F next to it, All the students that were on that list were not allowed to go to the upcoming middle school dance. And as I thought about that story, I thought about how often that is the way we think about Christianity. All the people that have screwed up, that have messed messed up or blown it, are not allowed to go to the dance. Friends, that's religion. That's not Christianity. That's religion. That is advice. It's basically saying, get your act together. Confess your sins so that you can come and be good like the rest of us. Christianity is the complete opposite. Christianity is good news because it says that something has been done for you. Christianity says that you'll never be good enough. Christianity says that you'll never clean up your act enough to come to Jesus. But guess what? Jesus was good enough for you. Christianity says there is an F next to every single person in this room, including me. There is an F next to our name because in some way, shape, or form, we have broken God's law. But... The good news of the Gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus took and passed the test for you. And He takes that failure and He takes that paper and He rips it to shreds and He takes you to the dance. Isn't that good news? From the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark... Mark says 
Jesus is it. He's the one you've been waiting for. He's the Christ. And here's my question. Who do you think Jesus is tonight? And does your answer to that question, does it make sense? What do you believe Jesus came into this world to do? Do you believe He just came to give you ten steps to live in a better life or to live your best life now and give you a few tips so that you can just do a little bit better and give you more burdens uh, that weigh you down? Or did Jesus come into this world with good news that He was going to take your brokenness and your sin and pay for it once and for all? I want to invite you back this semester. I want to invite you back next week. Those are the kind of questions that we're going to keep looking at. And by the grace of God, we'll have some answers to those questions too. Let me pray.